Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Cup Interviews. My name is Jillian Robinson. I am the associate producer here at Cup of Hemlock Theater and your host for today's episode. And I am joined by an exquisite guest, a phenomenal artist, a fellow podcaster, and from what I've gleaned so far, a wonderful human and soul to get to know today, selfishly on my end and for us here at The Cup and the community beyond, I am here with Bree Clark. How are you doing today, Bree? Hello. Hi, Jill. I'm so, so grateful we can do this. It I'm fangirling. Like oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> I feel like we haven't seen each other in a while, so it'd be really great to, to catch up and see where the state of art is right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We're going to, let's just like jump right into it. I think, I guess just like a little backstory. Brie and I met each other this April, right? Yes. April, March. Yeah. Brie was performing as a dancer in a piece, which we'll get into. No spoilers right now. And I was obsessed with the piece and also her expertise. And then we chatted in a little kind of art gathering post-show and then uh, we crossed paths again at Fringe, where again, no spoilers, Brie was involved in a project that I saw and the piece blew my mind. And I was not surprised because I'm like, this person is a powerhouse. So we are going to unpack Brie Clark. I'm so course. like, I'm so glad that we like organically met in that little art circle. We were both like, oh, you have a show? I have a show. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and that was the first time I had heard of like another person doing an art podcast too. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. Like this other are having the combos. Oh, um, okay. yeah. yeah. So, okay. Before we geek too hard out, let's do the usual icebreaker for here at the cup. What is in your cup today? What are you sipping on with us? I'm double fisting it as the kids would say. I love it. I have a little bit of hot, a little bit of cold. I have some caramel yes. tea. Some, you know, vocal cord injury prevention and yeah. some ice cold water that I feel like I always need to like do the extremes with. So yeah, I love it. It's in my cup. One what foot in each. You? What's in yours? We didn't plan this, everyone, I swear, but I'm also double visiting. <laughs> Actually, this is so cool. Wait, oh my God. And what kind of tea do you have? So I should be drinking throat coat tea, again, to keep those vocal cords ready, but I'm actually drinking decaf vanilla hazelnut black coffee mm. in the cup cup, um, nice. and then just some water, some lukewarm water. So Look at that. we have the same vibe going on, but a little bit different, which yes. that's, we love that. We love um, that. I also feel like we're kind of matching with our like the reds and the oranges. So nice. Yep, yeah. 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 Again, didn't plan, but like. No. Maybe the universe planned for us. We have no way of knowing. Okay, so let's just like blanket statement. Tell us about yourself. How did you get into performance? Who is Brie Clark? I'll let you take the reins and share as little or as much as you'd like. Who is Brie Clark? I started dance training when I was seven. I went to a studio. I grew up in Ottawa. So I went to a studio that had competitive dance training there called Leaning Dance Works. I spent nine years basically up until high school training competitively. So I was doing like all the styles and really just like crash coursing on everything, just like learning as much as I could and also competing in competitions around Ontario. And I loved it at the time. Like I was very much like a disciplined, like go-getter. And then I moved to Toronto after high school to attend TMU University, which is formerly known as Ryerson to gain my BFA. And I realized that I hated composition. Like I hated 
the jealousy and the like toxicity that sometimes comes with competitive art, Mm -hmm. which is in itself like an oxymoron. Uh, So, you know what I mean? So I like fell out of love with competition dance and immediately when I came to Toronto, realized that there's just such a big arts community here. And it kind of my performance preference changed into more like acting, dancing, like more theatrical dancing, not just like straight up ballet, like rigid technique. So yeah, and I graduated in 2020, the pandemic happened, and trying to be a working artist post all that. So yeah, yeah, that's where my training started. And here I am now. Love that journey for you. And yeah, it sometimes is hard to kind of wrap the head around is how big the palette of art is in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to like a lot of folks, especially outside of the art sphere, kind of they're like, oh, Toronto, Mervish. But like, no, there's so many other houses, yeah. equity and indie. And then within those facilities, too, there's the different streams of art. There's dance, there's musical theater, there's right. And uh, yeah, it's interesting hearing it, folks' journey the, when they kind of land in Toronto, the pivots and turns and pirouettes, maybe they make that they didn't think they were going to. Um, apologies if I, I type, I pop in some like honey dance jargon as we... Oh my gosh, go for it. Okay, love that. Again, this a lot of today's conversation, folks, too, is me learning more about Brie, too. So I feel honored that you're able to share your journey with us. So I I say this as you probably already all gauged everyone. Brie is honestly one of the best dancers I've seen in this city. And like, I don't frequent like dance houses per se. I I want to now that I've seen like the work that's, you know, available in Toronto. But you just have such an essence of like, like storytelling is saying it lightly. There's like a depth to your work that, and I've shared this with you before when we were talking during Phantasmagoria, which we'll get into later, but there is just such a connection of like art, humanity, storytelling, and emotion like bottled in how you work. And I think that's such a rare quality to have and it's beautiful and stunning to watch. So of course. So if we can go there, maybe digging into that, like what draws you to dance? Why is this sort of form of communication been your avenue? It's, it used to be when I was growing up, just because I wanted to be a fairy and I wanted to like float and like magically, you know, move through the world. And then I think now in 2022, I'm starting to realize like dance and movement and being like a physical in my physical body is much more of a radical act than I thought it would be. I feel like a lot of humans, maybe just in my experience, the ones that I frequent with sit and have to like be stationary for most Mm -hmm. of their lives or most of their daily life. And it really like saddens me that like we can't connect to our human bodies physical, physically. Um, So yeah, like I, I really loved movement. I loved being able to, explore stories through movement and and then it's starting to like really become something that I believe is important for humans like to be mm-hmm. able to move and access pleasure and access yeah. like joy so movement for me is really about like being in my body and being present with my body mm-hmm. and then what's so wonderful about what I get to do is I get to like share that with others and I have like I have a passion inside of me for movement and music, but I also want to share stories and 
become these characters. And, and as a teacher as well, like I, I try to teach that to my students that like, we can move and be movers, you know, and it's all naturally inside of us. Like it's not Mm -hmm, something that mm -hmm. we have to like put on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, storytelling is a big one for me. And I think like finding ways that I can do that physically is Mm -hmm. kind of where my, my head's at right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always like dance is such a universal language, dance and movement, right? I mean, there's different areas in the world that express themselves certain ways, but like it's a very, you can learn to me, like it's easier to learn a movement than it would be probably to learn a language, Mm -hmm. um, a a verbal language rather. Um, And I think that like when I get so emotional, I honestly, I feel like I get the most emotional watching a movement or a dance piece over like any acting or singing piece. And I think it must be because of this sort of universal understanding that Mm. like we're all watching what's going on. And I think also too, there's a verse, there's a versatility to it. Like, I mean, it depends what the movement and dance I guess is for, but you know, what you're perceiving and sort of making of what you're watching might not be exactly what your neighbor is perceiving or making what they're watching. So it's this sort of endless story per se, but like, everybody's story is curtailed a different way, I guess, depending yeah. on maybe also what you're dealing with as the audience member or as the fellow cast member or as the self, as the artist too. That's one of Again, the challenges. I'm not a dancer, so I don't know yeah. if I'm just like, but that's just what I perceive. Like, I don't, yeah, I right. guess. That's yeah. your experience, like watching it. And I have that too, where I'm like, what's going on with that abstract piece of choreography? Yeah. Like, And I think like that's one of the challenges that I face as being like a movement artist is that the interpretations are literally endless Yeah. about what kind of story I'm telling or what kind of emotion that I'm evoking for my audience. But that's the like. It's it's like a perfect imperfection kind of thing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It feels so like sacred in that way and precious. Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. I, I think I realize as well, like getting out of school and like an academic side about movement, I realized that like, I'm allowed to like make work that maybe people don't understand or can't really access. But my goal is always to reach them in some way, whatever that way is, you know, in that moment. Yeah. yeah, it's such a challenge, but like a welcome one, you know, of course. And did you speaking of challenges and, you know, you bring up a really good point of, of the physical self is something we can all access. But a lot of us in the work we do, the way we spend our daily lives, we are sitting and kind of boxed in per se, but you know, not to mention the big bad COVID word, but like, at a time when we were locked down and locked in. Yeah, if you feel comfortable sharing like what did that do to your relationship to movement? And because dance is also, in my opinion, too, a community, even when you are doing like a solo piece, yes. it is presented usually for other folks. So how did you kind of manage that The pandemic pivot, I guess? <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally a pivot. I like graduated in 2020. Yeah. In May of 2020. Like I literally was dancing eight hours a day training with like 30 other people in my class. Like I was very much in a community of people who were constantly, you know, and and, like studying about what this is, this dance Mm -hmm. thing. And then I went to zero. I went to nothing for 
give or take like three or four months. Mm -hmm. I was at home, my apartment, and I had some space that I could move in, but it was much more limited than I was used to. And I mean, to be honest with you, I like stopped, I stopped training in the way that I did because I just had a I had a real like almost just like spite for it at that time. Like I was really like mad and angry at the state of the world and felt like I couldn't do anything because I was stuck inside and I, all of the jobs that I had lined up were canceled. So there was a moment where I hated movement and I'm going to be honest and say that because yeah. I've kind of overcome it, but it really made me stop and realize that, oh, like I can be a human who yep. like is stationary. And then something, you know, after a couple of months, I realized that like I, I needed it and I needed of course, it for yeah. health, not really yep. just for creative reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like I can totally relate to just like, mm-hmm. I too also plummeted right at the end of, at the beginning yeah. of the pandemic rather. And I remember I took a full month off And then it was like at the top of the next, like off, like I went home and I was helping to watch my niece and nephew. So I was busy and I was being creative in a sense, but it wasn't, it was like art really, it was like, okay, art doesn't exist this month. And it was kind of like, oh, this is happening now. Okay. Just art just doesn't exist. Cool. But then the top of May was like, whoa, I'm hungry. I am starving for something artistic. And that is when I joined Cup of Hemlock. Viewers and listeners listen. I don't know. That, hear that was that. the, the, the yeah. ball. Yeah. Rolling the ball of Cup yeah. of Hemlock. But yeah. And it, it, like, so I totally get it. It was like, okay. And I think I didn't feel spiteful per se, but it was like a, okay, we're pivoting to, to something else right now. And that's okay. Yeah. But like, and underneath was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I do remember having a moment of, I was staying at my brother's at the time and I was like, wanting to play a piano so bad. I play like piano mm-hmm. here and there. And, yeah. and I just wanted to play and accompany myself while singing. And it just, I like started bawling because I'm like, I don't have access to a piano. And then mm. my brother and my sister-in-law like so sweet. And we still have to this day, he like ordered a piano in. He's like, we will order a piano in. And like at dinner time, you can play, but my nephew was a baby at the time, mm-hmm. play some stuff. And like, yeah. we will just get a sort of portable. And I was like, whoa, I just, I needed someone to even be like, there is access to some form of art. Mm. But it was like. I let my mind for a whole month be like, it just doesn't exist. And it's like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. And then it was like a pressure cooker. It just like exploded of, it exist. And it can, like, you know. Yeah. It's like the community is still there. And yes. like going back to what we were saying about like being around others who are also artists. And like, yes. like that fuels me and reminds me. You yeah. Know, we as humans are creatives and enjoy yes. art. And yeah. and yeah. this platform here, like what we're doing today, this sort of was birthed out of Cup of Hemlock, like halfway through the first little chunk of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. but now this is like a safe haven if we ever were to go back into lockdown. Conversations like we're having right now can happen and should happen because even if we can't physically be doing the work. We could be chatting about it. We can be connecting. We can be planning for when those doors open again. Yes. Right? Yeah. Having those um, discussions really saved me during the pandemic because like, I was podcasting with my podcast, Artistations, yes. mm-hmm. which is on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Tune in now. I started doing that as soon as lockdown happened. I like messaged a bunch of artists. I was like, 
are you okay? Where are you at? Can we talk about it? Even if you have nothing going on, like your projects, can we talk about what's going on in the world and why, you know, arts are still alive, even if, you know, live performance can't be happening. So it discussing and keeping that conversation alive is also something that fueled me and reminded me again that like, this is, you know, what we do is needed and like human. Yeah. Uh, but without it, I probably would have just like, uh, like gone. Like I, all of my love would have been gone. It's like, I need other people to yes. keep me reminding of that, you know? Me as well too. Like social butterfly vibes were just like <laughs> smack down with a machete and it's like, okay, great. How do I, but let's crack open actually your podcast. Let's yeah. go there now since we're kind of floating, we're fluttering around it. Um, yes. So Artversations, mm-hmm. the podcast, that is your podcast, right? That is my podcast, um, Conversations with Art at the front of it. Yes. Love it. So yes, you plugged. Yeah, plug. talk about the podcast. You yeah. do host it. What is sort of, yeah, the day-to-day vibe of what your platform does? And mm-hmm. we've kind of already been talking about why it's important to our industry, but just let's dig a little deeper, I guess. Yeah, I'm so grateful to talk about it. And, uh, you know, we're going to have an episode together as well. So by the time this comes out, please go and listen to Jillian's exercise uh, exercise episode. It is a podcast. It's not it doesn't have a video element to it. So it's very much about listening. And I think it's a meditative conversation about the artistic process in general. And my hope is that it provides artists with a platform to reflect on what they're working on or what they have worked on. And But it's not necessarily like an interview. Like, I think there's something interesting about two artists talking and Mm -hmm. kind of meeting each other in different places in their processes. So I also kind of try to relate to what they're saying and bring out questions that maybe could like counter them. Yeah. Uh, I think the the industry in itself needs critical discussion, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. And this is why, like, I love what you do as well. And I think the more that we can discuss what's going on, in our, I think it, my hope at least is that it's, it's, it's more an efficient way to make, like there's more discussion around it. So then we can discuss it and then move on and find something else. And it like, it's this constant like cycle of what are we making? Who is it reaching? What's working? What's not working? Mm-hmm. Let's move on from there. Yeah. Um, so, and I think it also, I created it because as a dancer, primarily, I don't use my voice very much. Right. And so I wanted other dancers as well as myself to take a second to verbalize and vocalize what they're working on. Mm-hmm. And that's been very therapeutic. And I hope mm-hmm. for my guests as well, just to talk like, of course, know, use the voice. Yeah. It's like verbal journaling in mm-hmm. a way. Right. Like as you're kind of, you, you know, mapping out the cycle of how your process works, it's a way, yeah. Like it's a way of an exercise. It's funny that you accidentally said exercise instead of episode, but I'm like, wait a second. It is what we're doing is kind of like exercising our craft because like part of the craft, right. Is you're, I always say this and cup is going to be like, this girl always says this, but like, you're the human before you're the artist. Right. And like, our bodies are our instrument, regardless of what pathway of the arts you are actively working in or have chosen to to work bulkly in. Bulkly, sure. But like our bodies are our instruments, right, as artists. And 
the heart of that is human and the human experience impedes and impacts our work. And a lot of that kind of going back to like OG human days, like community conversation group, you know, hunter gatherer mentality, right? We revert back to, to, yeah, the original ways, how did humans sort of survive socially. And I just, and even just talking about the arts or talking, wading through the weeds of the arts, that's kind of like the wheels turning to evoke change, make change, or like to create or spark a beginning of a creation that may not have been present unless you took the time to talk about it. Right. That's just really neat. Like I never really even thought about the mechanics of like what we're doing now and what you do uh, with your podcast too. And we will be doing soon. So tune in to that episode too. Yeah, yeah totally. Agree it is just that. It's kind of just like mm-hmm. a, a playground think tank of yeah. talking through art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like if as a consumer, as a listener of, mm-hmm. of podcasts as well, I get in a rut inspirationally I'm I get to these points where I don't feel passionate about the arts and then I hear that other people are because I listen to so many podcasts that also talk about like art process and I'm like oh reinvigorated and like it like brings me back into like an ambitious side of being an artist and I think yeah like just listening and hearing conversation does Mm -hmm. wonders for me in my work so I hope to bring that for others and hopefully inspire you know Yeah. yeah Absolutely. So good. My, the artist's senses are tingling. We're doing it. Okay. So like, yes, you are the host of this fabulous podcast. You are an extraordinary dancer. You are a performer. You're a movement teacher. You are a producer, which again, we'll get into what I saw you produce half summer, but you literally wear so many hats and we love to see it. We yes. love it, love it. Just pile those hats up. So what it like draws you to kind of take on all of these roles and what is your secret of how you balance them? Do you have, yeah, a way of going about things? Crack it open for us. It's It happened accidentally that I, like, became a producer. I think for starters, like, in my early training, like, it was definitely performance-based. And I, like, I bulkly wanted to just be, like, a performer, you know, in that condensed way. And then I started realizing that I love choreographing. I love like how my performance informs my choreography and vice versa. And then I started teaching and then like it just became so many different layers. But I think there's a through line at the end of the day between all of these hats that I wear. So I don't have a secret. I really don't. I don't know how I'm managing all of it. It's been kind of accidental that projects have landed in my lap in that way. But I think I try to remember like there's a through line that art is about connecting with humans. So wherever that, you know, ends up being, if it's through my performance, through my choreography, through making a show at the Toronto Fringe Festival, uh, Mm -hmm. or, you know, if it's through like the students that I work with, that's my goal is just to be able to connect with humans in different ways. And, uh, and yeah, just realizing that they're all connected those yeah. different disciplines and the different hats they're all kind of the same they're all fedoras but maybe they're just different color fedoras if i can say that okay that is going in our video <laughs> description they're all fedoras but different color fedoras yes <laughs> specifically a fedora you know you know that like the blue yeah. the fedora you know yes i'm there with you and it's easy stackability too if totally you use that style of hat yeah 
There you go. I'm there. And that's so interesting to to like kind of come at it of an angle of like they're all related. Things are kind of just falling into the lap and like we're just going kind of rolling with the punches. As oh, someone yeah. like I I did training with University of Toronto and Sheridan College. And so mm-hmm. like coming from a training facility too, I feel maybe maybe you have a different opinion, which is totally great too. But like it's something that had to be like for me at least relearned or unlearned maybe that it's okay to kind of have your eggs in other baskets as long as it's, you know, the commitment and time is still able to be devoted. But like, I just remember graduating and having the thing of like, okay, so I'm an actor now and that's all I do is act and I just have to be an actor. And then part of like my COVID experience was like when that didn't happen, when things went in lockdown, I was able to do like digital stage management. And I did love that quality of myself too. And my program like peppered all different sort of avenues of the industry at us. So like we, I knew that these doors were open, but it was very much like, I was like, I have to do one thing I have to do. But now I feel like I'm in the same, like that statement you just made of like, oh yeah, we're just doing all different things. And like, it's okay to be doing all different things. But I guess like, this is kind of like a weird tangent. Did you experience it? I mean, coming as like a a dancer too, did you kind of experience that shift too of maybe that's just like an adult thing we learned too of like, I want to be doing this. So I just have to be like an educator and an actor this month. And that's totally okay. But then it's so interesting because then you find that, you know, the thing that's maybe not the conventional or the way you had in your brain of how you want it to be, like the educator position or something, heavily influences the art side. Mm. And then it's like, I have these afterthoughts of like, oh my God, I don't even know if that art piece would have been as good and fortified as it was if it wasn't for my brain also splitting and educate into an educator position. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. 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 It all circles back to like, I'm curious about something and passionate about it. And I need other people to help me figure it out yeah. um, and to help us figure it out as, as a team. So it's been one-on-one, it's been internal, it's been in a group, it's been me at the front, me at the back of the room. Like all yeah. of that encapsulates like what I do. And I think I like, I would like to think that it makes my work more digestible and more accessible mm-hmm. for folks. Yeah. And it, of course it's about, it's a, paying the bills like I realized very quickly separate from the pandemic but that being a a, like a just a dancer in this city is next to impossible you know like it's it's an avenue that I think a couple of my friends have gone to and have been able to be successful in but in my case I've had to supplement it with teaching most choreography here and there but performance is at this point in my life something that I do the least okay, yeah. all of the hats that I wear. I hope that it'll pick up, but like, that's okay because yeah. I take what I've learned from other projects and other roles that I do. And, uh, and whenever I can get back to performing, it always comes back full circle. Of course. Yeah. And it's like staying under the umbrella of the arts community in some yes. shape or form too. Like yeah. even with maybe pivoting to a bit more side Joe jobs, as you will, ones that are like infused with community engagement, or even if that is like a serving job or like a retail job, like you're still interfacing with people and mm-hmm. learning about the human body and reactions and emotional ranges. And yeah, and it's just like, oh, right. Like all of this 
can contribute in some shape or form. Yeah. And just to echo off of that, like allowing yeah. myself to like, to be a human in the world and not yes. just an artist is like yep. something I'm also learning in my adult years. Like I can't just interact with artists. Yeah. That's not enough, you know, to right, be able right, to right. make human stories and human mm -hmm. experiences come to life. So totally yeah. echoing everything you just said. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so healthy for us to like step outside of the arts and have like those other avenues too, because like, the industry, it forces us to crack open and be vulnerable and sort of be on our creativity a lot of the times. And that's a lot of pressure, like psychologically, especially physically with like a, a movement person or a dancer. And so taking the time, again, I'll say it again, like we're humans before we're the artists. Mm. So whatever kind of, you know, shape that takes for people throughout their journey, like it's something I have to remind myself of. And it's something I find like constantly coming up in conversations with other artists and even like family members and friends who aren't, but you know, they say like, how do you do it? Or how do you balance? I'm like, well, when I'm in a production and I need to be memorizing lines and dance, I binge watch reality TV shows because like, that's the one thing <laughs> that just keeps me kind of like on the outside tier of right. deep art. And it's yeah. just something to mindlessly binge. Um, my parents are always like, how do you waste your time with that? I'm like, listen, I can't <laughs> dive into like the wonderful depths of Orange is the New Black right now, but I can watch some Jersey Shore vacation. Like that's where I'm at. Like, Totally. That's so funny. I just recently started watching that again as well. Like I used to yes. watch Jersey Shore <laughs> when I was younger and it's mindless and it's like, yeah. you know, not to say that they're not making art as well, but like no, it's yeah. very surface level. So it kind of helps my brain to shut off after yes. doing all of these things artistically. Yes. That's so funny that you said that. Absolutely. It doesn't surprise me. Again, as we're coming in double fisting, didn't even plan. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So let's kind of scope in a little bit further. I just want to fangirl more on the pieces that I've either seen you in or involved in. So let's talk about the first time I was exposed to your work. You were performing in Transcend Dances, production of A Grim Night which folks listening or watching, Mackenzie and I did a review of back in the spring. We went and experienced the immersive, magical, sort of multi-layered art piece that was Grim Night, and then we chatted about it. But we have now an inside view with you. So what was your experience like with that piece? And can you immersively walk us through your experience? Oh, so well said, everything you said. And I just want to say like the review that you and you put on was like so well detailed. And I just kudos to you for like encapsulating all of what this show is because it's very layered. A Grim Night is an immersive dance theater experience at the Great Hall here downtown Toronto. It is two storylines happening at the same time. So you can follow the Cinderella cast if you would like, or the Sleeping Beauty cast or both. What I was lucky enough to work with was understudying multiple tracks within those two casts. So I got to learn the stepsister role and a little bit of the evil step queen. And then I also got to work with the fairies of Sleeping Beauty. So I was doing, I was the only understudy at the time. So I was basically learning like six tracks at once. Like what a tank, what a pure champ. Like everyone listening, <laughs> holy moly. 
It was kind of insane. I don't know why I did that, but the director, Julia Cratchley, who's a dear mentor of mine from when I was younger, she trusted me with all that. And I was so grateful for it because at the time, this was back in April that we put it on, but we were going to do it in January uh, originally before the Omicron lockdown happened. Mm -hmm. But at the time I was really needing like a heavy project to work on. Like I wanted to really dive into it and learn as much as I could and educate myself as much as I could on what it is to put on a show. So I ended up swinging. Like I ended up doing as many things as I could because I was hungry for it. Kind of like what you were saying about just like, I need something to chew on. (laughs) But I also, which I also was able to perform in the pre-show of this big experience which is where the deer antlers come in so that was a lot of fun to roam around as audience members were coming in and Mm -hmm. kind of be this like bridge to the actual show we we basically allow the audience members to go wherever they want but i think it's important to have something happening at the beginning because that's a lot like that's a lot for an audience member to walk into Yep. So I felt like very grateful to have this role of like the bridge as the creature yes. uh, who was kind of like warning the audience about yeah. the grim endeavors that were about to happen. And, the, and I, yep. I tried to like make them remain alert and agile and like ready for it because I think it's just a lot to come into. Yes. Yeah. yeah so everyone, I met Brie as like, like this deer-esque character that was our first interaction and I can totally back you up like you basically were like the audience liaison kind of in a way because how you know in my experience walking in it was the great hall was the main space where we all kind of gathered as the guests and like there was the we knew in advance we would be kind of roving around but not really sure maybe where we could go or like is it all in this hall and we just rove in the upper levels or what have you. But then Mm -hmm. I remember it was you and Clayton Gray. Yeah. And he was kind of coming like as like a Brothers Grimm sort of character with the open book inviting people for a short story time kind of. So Mm -hmm. there was between the two of you and then both of you kind of left the hall. But it wasn't like you're leaving the hall. Now you're off stage. Like people, you were like enticing people to follow you. And so like the rules of what the piece was really was mapped out by yours and Clayton's interaction with the audience in a way of like, it's okay for you to interact too. Mm. So and I'm always someone totally opposite to Ryan here at the cup. Ryan like is like no audience participation, please. Where I'm like, yes, give me it. Like I want to know (laughs) where am I going? And so I was so in on it. And you know, being a fellow artist too, you know, there's that feeling you don't want to be left with egg on your face if no one is sort of helping you along. So I also figured out what you and Clayton were doing. And I was like, okay, I need to follow along with them. Because if I was in their shoes or sitting in that, no one was, you know, interacting. So and I did get a couple people be like, stay away from me. (laughs) Right, right. And but like, you know, trying to augment the experience with you all. But Just like even just looking back on you in that creature role, like I remember saying multiple times, Mackenzie, that every like inch of your body, your stature was like moving with purpose and like propelling the next motion. And that's where I was like, wow, this is going to be fantastic. Like this piece. 
Of course. Yeah. And yeah, it was just like super vital for, I hope, yeah, if Transcendence does more of these down the line, people should definitely come check it out because it's, and it was a way of seeing Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty differently, obviously, because it's movement oriented, it's movement infused, you already have that going on. But then the fact that it's happening in tandem with each other, Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, when would I have ever been put in one general space where I'm in com- like direct comparison and contrast of Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. Cool. And like, what can these pieces say or influence to each other? Mm-hmm. And then I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like the fairy facet of the piece, they were woven into both plots, correct? Perhaps. I mean, mostly Sleeping Beauty though, right? I yeah, guess. I guess yeah. the two would have been my, what I've perceived. The great like like wonders of this show, and I was lucky enough to always watch each show, is that the characters sometimes do meet up, even if they're right. in two different storylines. And so we talked a lot in process about like, what does that mean? Does it mm-hmm. mean anything? Are they in the same world, like same right. setting? Or are they very separate? The two princes of each storyline definitely meet up. They have yeah. this like, very interesting combat battle at the beginning. But I think one of the things that Julia and I and the rest of the cast were trying to research is like, if it is immersive and interactive, um, how much do we play into like the improv moments? Sure, yeah. The moments where the audience like takes us to a new thing and then we have to readapt so it like is such a yeah uh, like a an infinite amount of possibilities about who we interact with even if the choreography is set right and that's something that was so mind-boggling to me too is like not only is there the layered choreography within each piece but also pieces working in tandem together but then there's a fight choreo there was like armed combat and hand-to-hand combat to the point where I remember watching, I was following the Cinderella through line and I might've mentioned this in our review episode, but I was standing at like a pillar of the great hall and the prince actually had to step kind of towards me. Prince and Cinderella kind of like subtly shuttled, like shimmied me away because then the stepsisters did like this like whack on the thing. And I was like, Oh my God, if they didn't take it upon themselves to move me, I would have just been like a broken out. No, I mean, obviously they would have probably pivoted their choreo, but so that they didn't have to, I was like, wow. And then that's when it hit me too. I'm like, oh my gosh, all of these artists have to have like an outside night by night improv cap on for safety and inclusivity all the time as well. Um, It's so great to work with that lens yeah, um, because it isn't proscenium audience. Right. So we have to be aware, like you said, for safety, but then it, it makes these moments so much more authentic. Like for you, like you, you yeah. almost felt like you were part of the fight in itself. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity. So I remember Kelly, the cast. Kelly literally looking at me and Ooh, kind of doing yeah. the thing of like, like as Cinderella being like, what's going on? But also like, you need to move human because you are going to. I was like, I absolutely understood. I picked up what she was putting down. I'm like, you just told me three things in one glare and I'm here for it. 
Um, Kelly's a fantastic communicator in that sense. I love watching her each night change up how she interacted with people. Yeah, totally. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it was super neat. And yeah, again, if Transcendence does more of these magical nights, again, I want to go because it's one of those shows too. They feel like every experience just by laws of probability is going to be different because it's impossible for you to be two places at the same time. So Totally. I, you know, I don't want to be the nerd that has like a clipboard, but like if I saw yeah. it more than once, I'd be like, okay, so at this time, like this is the stage manager and me being like, at this time totally. I was in the basement. So the next time I go, I have to be on the balcony. Like, Absolutely. And just, like, that was me. That was me. Try to consume <laughs> it. Yeah. Because yeah. I also, rem- we'll see. I remember you too, like as the show went on, you were wearing like a transcendent dance t-shirt, but you were still in the world but also like an, an observing force too. So that was, I thought was like super cool. Yeah. Um, I had to like play a bit of a, like assistant stage manager role during the mm-hmm. show, but yeah. I also wanted to keep like that, you know, grimness. And a lot of our ushers were just fantastic at keeping the magic alive, even if they weren't playing yeah. the roles. Yeah. So yeah, I like took off the antlers, took off my creature mask and kind of stepped in to just help with the just yeah. the managing of like three yeah. floors of stuff. And uh, yeah, I learned so much from that. It was my first big professional job out of school. Cool. Two years awesome. later. So I like cannot be more grateful for Julia and the entire company for letting me just kind of like peek in. Yeah. Prance in and creep around. Yeah. Love it. So let's spiral to to the the other performance production Mm -hmm. I've witnessed this year, which you were a part of. So Toronto Fringe, there was a show that you produced called Phantasmagoria. I think I said this on our Fringe review panel, but again, it was one of the best works I've seen at the Fringe this year. And kind of a little bit by accident, I saw it. Like, I only had two days where I was in the city where I could see stuff. And Mm. so I had the fringe schedule ahead of me. And obviously, I wanted to first see what in the two days can I see? And then what do I want to see? And I saw your name attached to Phantasmagoria. And I was like, bam, that that was like my first choice. I was like, that. Anything else can rove around that. And it happened to be like the last show I saw, too, because it was... It was on July 7th, I think is when I saw it. And I'm so glad I did because, I mean, I'll have you talk about it. Like, what was the show for those who didn't kind of tune in to a tiny synopsis it did on the Fringe panel? And like, can you unpack that process and maybe some producer role tips, tricks that you gained or brought to that? Yeah, this was a project that originally started in 2020. I was going to be in the cast of the 2020 Fringe version of it alongside Near Far Projects, which is founded by Rachel Fagini and Tavia Christina, two longtime collaborators of mine. And they were going to put on a version of it for 2020. Obviously, that didn't happen. And I'm so grateful that Fringe held our spot. Because when the 2022 festival looked like it was about to happen, Tavia and I started questioning, like, we should do this. I feel like this is the right time. We haven't done a live show in literally two years. This is a storyline about two partners. It's a queer storyline. We wanted to give dancers and 
emerging artists the chance to perform and pay them well. We had a little bit of money saved up, but we had to fundraise and hosted improv jams to be able to do that. So a lot of that process for me was just kind of jumping into it and saying, well, now the time is now. Yeah. I can't wait any longer. And I really needed, again, just, I was kind of hungry for a show. And I, I also didn't, I wanted to try not dancing. And so Mm -hmm. I asked Taves if I could come on as an associate producer. And they were like, yes, (laughs) I I need help. And (laughs) we quickly realized that like, we couldn't do it without each other. So Tavi and I basically co-produced the show. We had an amazing cast of six dancers. And you can hear more about the process on our versations. We have a podcast episode about it. But yeah, just to like, kind of answer your questions about like, being a producer and what that entails, I learned on the spot about what to do and what was needed. And I definitely made some mistakes. But at the end of the day, I was just so grateful to like, try this Mm -hmm. producing role after being a performer for so long. And yeah, it was really, I think it was well received. We had a lot of people come who gave feedback that it was either really anxious and kind of made you feel uneasy, but also that they were entranced by it and leaned into it. So I I hope we like gave a wide, you know, um, reaction to to what we made. And yeah, when I saw you in the audience during the Q&A, I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is so serendipitous that you came. I'm so glad to hear that like it was on your radar. Yeah. And thank you for the review that of course, you and yeah. the cup made. It was so well done. That whole episode is great. So yeah, that was phantasmagoria. Yeah. <laughs> and that that was, especially because me, you know, me seeing Grim Night, which was like, okay, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, there's packaged storylines that I grew up with knowing. Right. And this was Phantasmagoria was like, did you, it's a, a original piece, right? Like you guys yes. created it or Tavia created it. Mm-hmm. Um, Tavia choreographed it and okay. they like took from personal experience. So yeah. yeah, very original, but hopefully again, kind of gave lots of interpretation. Yeah. So I like sitting and absorbing and observing that piece. I was, again, we talked about this earlier of like so many things were rushing through and over me of like, mm. I can relate to that or I can't even imagine what that person's going through or, oh my goodness, I have all these butterflies, this love or, whoa, there's that rage. Like there was just so like a scope of human emotion with the score is just inside of me forever. Um, yes, the composer, Braden Kruger, I have to give so many props like, to him. So good. And I found myself like emotion, like actually like tearing up through some of it and a lot of the parts too, where I didn't think I would be emotional and that part, like it just was a masterpiece. And it was and to me, like perfect imperfection too. Cause I remember like seeing the piece and being like, I totally understand what's going on, but like Mm. at the same time, there could be nothing going on. This is just like the human experience stage through different bodies uh, doing different things collectively and individually because i love too that there was that balance between collective 
movement and then mm-hmm. a little bit more like solo and duet pieces too. Right. But yes, folks, definitely check out more about it on Artversations because Yeah, the, and you can also watch the stunning. show now. We oh my god. Okay, great. Yeah. Look at that. We filmed it, so it's on YouTube for free. Just go and check it out. Okay, we will put that yeah. link below yes. for sure. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Phantasmagoric. Phantasmagoric. Amazing. <laughs> so you mentioned it as a fundraising opportunity for Phantasmagoria, mm-hmm. but I am so intrigued because again, I like follow you on Instagram and I like your stories and all that stuff. What are improv jams? Like, and are they just dance or is it any type of art? Like what just unpack when you say I'm going to an improv jam or like mm-hmm. hosting an improv jam? Like what, what is that? This is a concept that I think musicians, and I'm sure you'll relate to it as well as an artist, but like when you get into a space with other creatives and just kind of throw things into the playground Mm -hmm. and see what happens. And there's like a real emphasis on process and not on product. Mm -hmm. Um, I began training in improvisation uh, back at my old studio, Leeming Danceworks in Ottawa, we would throw these improv jams on and and open it up to the city. So like a lot of my friends from other studios came and we would get out of our competitive dance training and just come together as a community. So it started when I was younger. I like was a part of them back when I was like 13. Mm-hmm. And I, again, was in lockdown in 2020 and needing other artists and wanting to be fueled by other ideas outside of my own. And Tavia luckily had a residency at the Heliconian Club in Yorkville. Mm -hmm. And so we used that space to host, I guess it was about five or six improv jams. And yeah, I like to describe it as just like a playground of ideas. Yeah. It's not just for dancers. We had a bunch of actors come, which was a really great into the scope of what we could do. I'd love for you to come to the next one. I think you'd have. Yeah. Can sing like singers, obviously. Oh, yes. I have this vision of like me just like riffing off and someone like, moving to what I'm singing. (laughs) Exactly that. It's exactly that. Plus like someone is over there, like designing a costume. Okay. Someone over there, like writing a a poem. Like it's what I hope is that it is like a a space for creation and not worrying about like what it looks like or who's, who it's for. It's just to get ideas out. Yeah. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. There's like a recap of it on the Near and Far Projects YouTube channel if you want to take a look. But it really started when I was younger that that this training like helped me to get my ideas out. So I wanted to offer that to the community and yeah, and also of course a little bit. So, so yeah, I also I would imagine too it's like an exercise in allowing yourself to be vulnerable in a space with other artists too right like the yes um yeah the yes and just like you know okay you're in a space and create like whatever that that means or how that speaks to you especially like you know I remember from the years and still even now but like especially post school kind of feeling intimidated by the whole like Toronto scene art scene and something like these improv jams where it is all inclusive and just show up as you are and work through or on anything, any shape or form you want. Like, 
feel like that's such a healthy space to mm-hmm. dive into. We do have some rules, like just to keep yeah. the like of course, yeah, and like some kind of guideline. But it's basically like just don't hit people, mm-hmm. don't say no to anything, and if someone want doesn't want to be touched, don't touch them. Like that's all it yeah. was. Yeah, and then throughout that we could do you know endless endless things. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to have you. Wow, that's. Of course. Yeah. And if there's like any links or upcoming things, we'll make sure that we include them in this video as well. Cause I think it's even just to know that's a space, right. Of, of like, yeah, I feel like I, I could create something today or just move or sing or yeah, do whatever. I'd love My- that you said to costuming, like there's someone working <laughs> on costuming, like, yes. <laughs> Like that is all part aspects. of, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All creatives. I think it makes the space so much more alive and it has been mostly dancers that come just because that's my, most of my community, but I would love to see like a sculptor show up yeah, and like, or like a visual artist too. So yeah, I think like it also started for me, at least Amy Poehler is like a huge inspiration of mine. Mm-hmm. And she like created with three of her collaborators, like up- Upright Citizens Brigade, which mm-hmm. is basically like just like improv training. So I'm like trying to like copy that in <laughs> Love Toronto it. and like hopefully it'll take off. But yeah, um, yeah, that's where like my inspiration is. Yeah. And even like, like, I feel like too, it's a space to influence and encourage other like facets of the industry to maybe practice or uptake other facets of the industry like for example i am a mover who can pick up choreography very well but i wonder if i'm in an like an improv jam with a bunch of dancers i would feel inspired and impacted to to move my body in a way that maybe through you know society or other projects have told me i can't or i shouldn't or i don't know how to so like it's that exchange and influence of the different sides of art that like in can be like a supportive force to encourage I, I feel like I'm going on a tangent but just learning from other yeah, artists absolutely. and in different different veins of art that you're not comfortable or you didn't train in right like yes yeah a hub um, for exchange yeah yeah totally yeah because and I feel like I, I would probably have a little bit more confidence of like going into the next like dance call or like show us a movement piece I'll be like oh Ooh, that thing I worked on at the improv jam. Yeah. Maybe I'll bring that to the forefront or yeah. Totally. And it's um, accessible. Like we we do it by pay what you can. So great. I, it's not about like paying a big, big amount of money to go train in these, you right. know, avenues, which is totally fine as well. But I just feel like, you know, if you are looking for a way to train that is more about community and about like sharing ideas this is the space for you yeah yeah wow it's fascinating I really do hope it like becomes more known out there and because it's just such a especially when yeah when you graduate at rehearsal hall space is not accessible to you anymore (laughs) like you know and the city we live in a concrete jungle and there's not necessarily financially or spaciously availability for stuff like this right and mm-hmm. apartments may not be big enough to you know push beyond a boundary that you want to be working at a certain time right yeah yeah that's so so lovely yeah yeah so do Thank you, you have I don't know. 
Okay, love that. Let's yeah, see. we'll see. Let's I would love to do them outside. I think that's yeah. like a better setting. You know, take it to the streets, like to be more inclusive in that way. And then like passersby can join as well. Like Sure, yeah. But at the moment, I've kind of put it on pause, but I, I hope to start it up again. If anyone listening has... Uh, the need to, to, you know, host something like this, let me know. Let's collaborate yeah. and make it happen. So, yeah. yeah, Cool. Yeah. So lovely. So do you have, like you said, this is on pause for now. Do you have any other upcoming projects or sort of what fedoras that you're going to be donning over the next little while that we can see your expertise in? And are you teaching any classes that folks can maybe get involved into? I have, I'm a part of a showing called The Garage, which is going to be performed at the Transat Club, which is the Fringe headquarters. Funny yep. On December 9th at 8 p.m., we're going to put on, it's basically two works that are completely original. One is by Ali Carey, who I'll be in their piece, and Kaylin Isserlin is the other choreographer, which I'm excited to see what they're working on. And there's also going to be some other projects and performances kind of scattered in there. It's a Again, kind of going along with what the Improv Jam was, it's a program for emerging artists to come together. No one is really getting paid. Like it's very just about like what we can do in the space together. And the piece that I'm working on with Ali has been really, it's very interesting for me outside of being an artist because it talks about the traditional masculine feminine stereotypes and kind of playing on them or not and Mm -hmm. in conversation around all of that. So it's been a really investigative process for me to work on that. And yeah, come and see. It's yeah, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be just like a, again, just like a hub for exchange and anyone can come and uh, with us. So yeah. Love that. I will be there. If, If I'm free, I'm there. And yeah. that, that's that classes I'm not really teaching currently, but you can, you know, follow me on Instagram and hopefully I'll post about things. I've been trying to take some time off from teaching just because I did it so much during lockdown. So, right. but I always love meeting new people in my classes. So yeah, come out and let's dance. Love that. Let's dance. Okay, great. Yes, we will definitely post all info about the garage. That's so exciting, especially at the top of December. Like it's crispy cold. People are kind of segueing to the holidays. Come out mm-hmm. and see like this fantastic dance piece. Yeah. Fun. It should be like, I think it's going to be a really nice community of people who haven't been able to get together in a while. So yeah, yeah, the energy will be up. There's that like young, scrappy and hungry vibe coming to the floor for sure. <laughs> Totally. We're like fighting it against the proverbial man. Yes. Great. So at this time, I think I'll let you plug. Yeah. Like any social handles that if people want to keep up with you as an artist and all these projects, like I said, I'll post links down below, but where can we follow you and keep up with you and give you more story views that I probably do on a daily basis. (laughs) Jill, that's so kind. I have, yeah, I have an Instagram at Brianna underscore Clark with two E's at the end. I have a YouTube channel. If you search up Brianna Clark, you can find it. Listen to our conversations. And by the time this comes out, Jillian will also be a guest. I'm trying to get together, put together a, a best of 2022 episode. So um, look up for that. And you can kind of get a little taste of different episodes that I've been working on over the year. And if you want to collaborate with me, you can email me at www 
bookwithbreeclark at gmail.com. We can discuss some ideas and hopefully make something happen. Love it. I also have a website, breeclark.ca. All the handles. Thanks. Yeah. Let's let's connect. Yeah. Yes, let's do it. We will pop that all down below for sure. Thank you. Yeah, that's, I think that this, we can wrap here, but if there's any, I guess, you know what? No, I'm going to, I am going to ask one big kind of like existential. We do this sometimes with, with our interview interviewees. What is a piece of advice that you would give to, I guess I'll do a two part question to you if that's okay. Uh, To Dancers. To go along with our double fisting. With our double, exactly. We had to get one for the water and one for the hot beverage. <laughs> what is a piece of advice that you would give to a dancer kind of breaking into the Toronto scene? And then in general, like a piece of advice or comment that you would give to just an artist in the industry in 2022? Hmm. For the dancers. Okay. Sorry. No, I was going to say, feel free to choose whichever one. Yeah. The hot beverage or the cold beverage, whatever <laughs> fits your fancy. I'll, I'll do the, it's not so hot anymore, but this is the dancer cup. Nice. Uh, for the dancers listening, the movers, the shakers, the groovers. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the best piece of advice I've ever gotten was a mantra called by, I don't know who it's by, but it's called hold on tightly, let go lightly. Mm. And it's this concept, I guess, of clinging to things that mean so much to you in the moment, but if they start to go away, then, you know, let them be free. And I think that also kind of goes along with musculature, like hold on to your resistance, but then let it go. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess I'll say that. That was so deep. I I love that. Oh my God. I love that though. And I don't think that's just for dancers. Like I think everybody can live by that. Absolutely. Let me switch cups. I mean, I feel like the artists out there, like, Hold on to your ideas, like let them be precious. And I'm saying this as a reminder for myself too. let them be precious to you and like mean something to you. But I guess as well, like remember that like it can flow away and it can be lighthearted and accepting that it might be different when it leaves you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't know. Words to the wise (laughs) with Brie Clark. We're going to take a sip of water after that one because that is a lot. Need some sage sage advice wow okay well that was just like a beautiful pin to this punishing conversation i'm so 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 glad and honored to be to be in your presence today and talking through all this stuff i mean so like we, we've said it so many times but just a community in general and connection and finding those pieces and those people that sort of encourage and influence your vulnerability and of self and as artists and you know, those may be under an umbrella of a specific piece that you're working in, but also it's totally okay. And it will happen where you're just making those discoveries as a solo person, artist, making their way. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I Making their way downtown. I feel like this could go on five ever. It can. I just always want to be talking to you, but we will. We will do it soon. We will cap this cup episode. So you heard it here, folks, the wonderful Brie Clark. We will post everything we've chatted about today, links and handle wise below the episode. Please support her and support Art Versations podcast. Let's keep conversations spiraling everywhere and all the time. Of course, thank you. Like, wow. Yes, thank you. I'm still like reverberating of what 
same and I, before we before you finish up i just want to say yeah. how important what you do is and like thank you for you and ryan kenzie for making this happen discussing art and bringing people and uplifting other artists is so important so i'm so grateful for what you do here on the cup and cup of hemlock and thank you for reaching out about this i've been i was like anxiously waiting for a message from you since like I guess April, maybe July. So I'm so grateful that we can make this happen. Thank of you. Of course. You. Yes, that is. We are so grateful to have you. I mean, in retrospect, if you have something down the line too, just tap us and please be like, I have this going on and we will support it. That's our Same main too. name of the game here at Cup. Same too. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. Like uplifting artists now and now more than ever, we need to support each other and everyone will be more successful and happy and enjoying themselves if we have that genuine support system, right? Yes. Yeah, that's just how it works. Like, it's such a simple notion. It's very hard. Our society makes it very easy for us to forget that. But it's through communal uplifting, yeah, that all this, all of us can be our most radiant selves. Yes. Yes. Um, Together. So go ahead and follow Cup of Hemlock Theater if you're watching this on YouTube. Give us a like, pop down in the comments if you would like, subscribe, and you can catch us on podcast platforms, Apple, Spodcast, Spodcast, Spotify, Spotify, or wherever you get (laughs) your podcasts. Great. That is where we'll leave you for now, folks. Enjoy the rest of your day when you are listening or watching this. Stay safe, stay creative, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.